Is this the dagger? Illegal substitution, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block and the sideline. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up. What a move, shoots, scores! Hey, it's episode 59. Welcome to The Outsiders, brought to you by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. My name is Bryn Griffiths, along with Robin Brownlee. Robin, how you doing? Outstanding, Bryn, and a landmark episode in The Outsiders today, if you ask me. Yes, because our good friend Al Mitchell, otherwise known as Low Tide, is joining us. Hey, before we get to him, we I, there's a special... You set this up. Well, uh, you know, I wanted to welcome Al to the podcast in a, in a way that I think will be uh, meaningful for him, so... Uh, well, let's play him a little clip, and we'll set things off on the right tone, right from the hop. Here's the 3-1 pitch, and it's swung on, fly ball, center field. Dawson going back onto the warning track. Dawson at the wall. That ball is a home run. That ball is out of here, and a home run for Rick Monday, and the Dodger bench clears to congratulate Rick Monday, who has hit a two-out home run here in the ninth inning, and it appeared... That Andre Dawson had room as he went back to the fence, and he just flat ran out of room as the ball cleared the fence at about the 385 mark. 1981. I've known our guest since 1984, I think. Al Mitchell joins us low tide. How you doing? Good. I've got another suggestion. I know you've decided on the outsiders, but I have a suggestion for the name of this show. It's what I'm thinking about Robin Brownlee right now for coming up with that. Yeah. It's, uh, it ends with an S. <laughs> Ooh, that could be a lot of different things, Al. So, hey, uh, hey, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you with us. Thanks, man. And uh, as we've said with a lot of our guests lately, long overdue, and we should have had you on a lot sooner. But, hey, here we are. We're going into the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's still a little unique. Uh, before we get going on the playoff stuff, let's talk about your show on uh, TSN 1260. And, and the the lowdown has been, how long have you been going now? Even I should know that the answer to that one. Well, I think it's been uh, about, I'm going to say eight years, but I honestly don't know. Uh, because I, I started doing the Saturday show in, I think, 10, uh, 2010. And then it morphed into the, the weekday show when they, uh, they, they, they got rid of Jim Rome. People still, still DM me and say, why miss Rome? Get Rome back. <laughs> I haven't quite replaced him, but I've been there for, I'd say, eight years now, something like that. But you've done such a unique job with the show. Like, you, you, you haven't gone with a lot of mainstream guys. You went to a lot of guys that you knew from the blogosphere or from uh, from various other sources, not traditional media, and you've, and you've done an unbelievable job with it. Well, you know what? It was initially what we decided to do, uh, and it was it began with the Saturday show, which was Oilers Nation Radio. Uh, we we wanted to get voices that were unique, talking about unique things, and it it, it did more. But initially, we had guys on talking about numbers. But you know what, Bryn? Guys talking about numbers is exactly as interesting as you think it is. So we had to move off of that. Uh, so and then we started to get bloggers who could talk on the radio. And look, we we had some pretty spicy guests. There's no doubt about it. We we had to use the delay a few times, but. Uh, it, it, 
as you say, it's been unique, and we've we've sort of become a little more mainstream in the last two years. But we always have guests, and actually, one of them, one of our most popular guests, we stole directly from you in Steve Lansky. We've we've really had great success with Lansky. He's a brilliant guy. Al, one of the things I really like about your show, uh, aside from the fact when you look at the three of us, we're all the same vintage. <laughs> You've got the mix of the old and the new. I I poked a little fun at you today about you were talking about Caleb Jones not playing and you managed to uh, slip in a Serge Savard into the sentence. And I mean, for me, that's perfect. Um, some context and, and having had your eyeballs on sports for a long time, you've seen everything from the, uh, uh, you know, carbon paper era to right now where everything's live uh, and on zoom uh, it's spanned a lot of years and a lot of memories I'm sure. Yeah, it has. And one thing that, that our show tries to do and, and uh, your check is really good at it. He brings the, the youth and, and, uh, and I bring the experience and we sort of mix and match, but uh, the, the key to the show, I think what I've always tried to do is not, I, I think it's important not to be an expert on anything because Robin, your your memories and Bryn's memories and my memories are probably identical. And and so I try not to to uh, go expert very often because I can talk about my own experience, which I is what I do. But the 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 collective, like in Edmonton, everybody knows hockey, so it's pretty hard to be. Uh, inside hockey, unless you've got somebody who's in the industry talking about it, and so it, it's I try to make it universal, the whole show universal, and and I bring the experience. Yeremchuk brings the youth. Sometimes he doesn't know things that makes it funny. Sometimes I forget things that makes it not funny for me, but funny for everybody else. Well, part of the fun, and this is something I believed in too, and I completely agree with you. I always felt I was a generalist, and the goal for me was to know just enough about stuff. And if you had a guest like Bob McKenzie on, Bob's your expert, right? Yeah, very true. And I think that, I think the guest appreciates that too, where I'm not, you know, I, I'm not telling him what to say or, or I do long questions, which I try not to, but I'm, I, I'd like to say I'm getting better, but I asked Nugent Bowman a two minute question this morning, so I can't, can't say I'm better, but I, I do think that there's a, it's important if you have a guest on, that you make them feel special and you make the audience realize that this is a guy who's worth listening to. And as you say, Mackenzie is an obvious example, but you know, anybody that you have on your radio station, I think you should be able to qualify or at least uh, um, defend them having some expertise and making them worthwhile to the listener. Well, and the other thing too, Alan, um, experience is great, but there are a lot of new people out in the media there that I tell you what, since we were mainstream, even in, in that number of years have come aboard and are doing a hell of a job. There's a fresh perspective. It's a new era, both in sports and in the way we cover sports. And there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of content out there if you want it. Oh yeah. It's, and it changes every day. You know, the, the, I think everybody but me has a podcast and, and they're all good. Like they're, you know, I thought, and it's, it's very true at the beginning of the podcast world, often you had to get a very famous person and then they were the pull and they would talk for a while and you'd get a guest or two. But, but now 
the podcasts are getting like all world guests and doing not not today obviously an exception but they're getting all all world guests and you're you're compelled to listen to them even aside from the host or the hosts and and i would say that's new in the last year or so there are some top drawer guests doing podcasts just because and that's really good i think well when you think back 20 years did you ever think you're going to be doing this because you were your career has has gone back as far as mine to Saskatchewan days and maybe even further for you. But let's talk about how we even got started and wh- how and where did you get going? Well, I, I remember thinking to myself, should I drive a, a, a pizza over to the rink in Moose Jaw for Bryn because he's begging for it here in the middle of the second period? I remember those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, 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 like I was on the music side of it. I was a top 40 uh, jock. And so I'm really out of my element, but uh, on the other side of it, I do know radio and I, I'm, I'm not as well connected as a lot of people, but I, I do know some folks and, and we were able to get rolling with a talk show. Uh, and, and it was a really new experience for me because the, the dead air to me is death and, and in talk, that's okay to have some, some quiet for a moment. So it took a while to learn it, but the the and bring you're the same way i know you are it's it's in your blood so if you weren't podcasting you'd be thinking about podcasting that's this is what we do we're we're my dad was an edgerman in a sawmill and he could look at a log and he could tell you how many two by fours you were going to get out of it and that's sort of what we do we're we're in the communications business and if we're not communicating about sports then maybe it's linoleum but it's the same thing Al, where does that passion for sports, because you need the passion first before you go on and do any of the things we're talking about. But, you know, you've got your show, uh, you're doing work for The Athletic, uh, you wrote at Oilers Nation, you write your own blog. That's a lot of hours in the day of talking, thinking and writing about sports. When did when did uh, sports grab you and refuse to let go? Well, it was the the in the sixties. My we used to spend we, our my grandma and grandpa's house was right next door to my mom and dad's, and there was always sports on. My grandpa and my grandma were both diehard Toronto Maple Leafs fans, so any Maple Leafs game that was on, they would watch and sports was always on because my grandpa would watch the baseball game. And so I learned from them and then from my dad who loved baseball and, and hockey as well. So it was always around. If you, if you weren't watching it, you were probably talking about it. And as you guys will remember, there was only one or two hockey games on a week. So the hockey news was always at grandpa's house. So I would read that it was just part of the furniture, right? Like it was, it was such a, uh, a fun thing to do. And then obviously when I got into school, I played sports. I was awful at it, but I loved to play uh, sports. And and from that grew uh, an interest in, aside from that was an interest in radio. And when I got into radio, uh, I didn't do sports until I got to Regina in 1984, but I always had a passion for that too. So they kind of amalgamated in 84 a little bit when I when I did sports with uh, Roger Millions and Peter Labardius. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, at Chikai Chikai Radio. Sorry, CKCK Radio. 
That's right. I was so good. We were so good at it. We killed that station. It doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> hey, the, the, the other thing too, and it's funny because I remember going to an ESPN radio sports conference in Phoenix in 2004, I think it was, and had a chance to meet Jim Rome there briefly and Dan Patrick. And it was always neat to talk to some of those legends from the U.S. The one thing that always seemed to come up in conversation, though, was, oh, you're in Canada, so how do you talk sports in Canada when your country only really cares about one sport? And I thought, well, that's a really justifiable question that you're asking me. And then when I talked to many of our hosts, you know, we obviously have our favorites, but as long as you and I've known each other, if I wanted to talk World Cup soccer with you, you would. And you yeah. did it with enthusiasm. If you wanted to talk about baseball or the Expos, because you and I both love the Expos, we would talk about baseball. If we were going to talk about Stampede Wrestling and Ed Whalen, talking about off the turnbuckle, we could talk about that too. But your interest level in everything has always been high. Well, I, I a part of that is because, you know, I, I Stampede Wrestling was a favorite of my brother and I. We used to, uh, he used to be, he was four years older than me. We'd watch Stampede Wrestling and then I'd get beat up for the rest of Saturday. That was my childhood. Uh, but I, I, yeah, again, it always revolved around that. But the the the, the wide interest, I think, comes from, um, you know, as you go on in life, like there was a time in Edmonton where soccer was pretty big with the drillers and you get to know people there. And, and I, I did hang around the John Short show a lot. So John taught me a lot about boxing and, and other sports that he was big into community sports. So he was just major league interested you could call him with the you know the the fastball scores from Leduc, and he put them on the air he he was all about that and what i learned from john was that that you know we may as broadcasters say well that's not important but but all sports at any level especially local because it's our listenership is vitally important so uh and, and you know i think we were really blessed in edmonton to have so many different people Ron Hader being an example, but lots of others who were were champions of sport and maybe made Edmonton a little bigger in actuality than it deserved to be based on its size when it was a smaller city, bringing things like Commonwealth Games and all the different events that we've had, you know, the you know women's soccer events and more. If you live in Edmonton, it's hard not to have been influenced by all of those things. And I mentioned Hader and Short, but there's lots of other guys uh, who had an impact and some of them are gone now, which sucks. But uh, I think Edmonton's more of an international city than maybe maybe people think who haven't been here before. Well, Al, you talk about getting into sports, uh, you know, on, on air. About the time the Edmonton Oilers started winning Stanley Cups and you're old enough to remember the, the great Canadians teams, but in terms of the National Hockey League, and that's the number one game in town here, that's an era I don't think that will ever be repeated. Uh, the first four, certainly, and then the fifth cup here uh, with salary cap and, and the way things have changed. I don't know that we ever see that again, and those of us our age got to see it with our own eyeballs. Yeah, it, it's... I don't know. You'd have to have probably four drafts in a row that were that you could have everybody on their entry level deal 
in order to, to win a Stanley Cup, and you'd have to win them right away because the, the Oilers basically from 1979 through when Gretzky was traded, which was 88, so basically a decade, they had six, maybe seven, maybe eight impact players. And, and not only that, their their support group, you know, Linsman to McTavish to whomever was great. Uh, Scotty Bowman's book with Ken Dryden, uh, I don't know if you read it, but he talks a lot about that that 80s Oilers team mm-hmm. and about what made them special. And, you know, he, he was critical along with being complimentary, but you basically had Gretzky and Curry, which was a number one line for the ages. And then you had Messier and Anderson, also a number one line for the ages. And so your first two lines would kill you, and they'd kill you all kinds of ways. Messier could hurt you. Anderson could kill your goalie. And then you've got Curry playing great two-way uh, hockey and, and Wayne Gretzky, the greatest player who ever lived. And how could you afford those guys, Robin? Even if you like Toronto has three guys that are making gobs of money now and, and they uh, in a little bit of cap hell. If Wayne Gretzky were 24 today, how much you'd have to pay him to the, the absolute uh, uh, maximum. Yep. But then you'd have to pay Messier to the maximum, Anderson to the maximum. You, you'd have, if it's 15 million, you'd have four guys at $60 million and you'd only have four forwards done. So when you does he, do Al, Al, when does the Euler window open up and, and it can't stay open as long as it did back in the good old days, uh, to use the old guy expression, but at some point, and you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to reflect back and you do great work at the athletic as well. And Robin pointed that up earlier, but I was reading the article by, uh, Daniel Nugent uh, 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 Bowman this morning about what Connor McDavid did and addressed in his, in terms of how he plays the game now after the disappointing loss to the Chicago Blackhawks in the play-ins last summer. It's a great article, but it just reminds me that when the window does open here for the Oilers, it will not be open as long as it was the last time around. No, and it's too bad, but they they um, you know the, the the time to you wanted to win the first time is in, in McDavid's entry level deal, but they were too busy uh, trying to, you know, they got Talbot. who was a great goalie bet. They made some, some bad bets and, and it didn't work out. So now you have basically four or five years of McDavid uh, and then another contract coming and we, we don't know where that will go. So I think they've got four years and uh, I think Ken Holland's done a fine job and I think Dave Tippett is a terrific coach, but there's a lot of luck involved too need to have is a hell of a summer boys because they they're going to have some free agent money they need to get some some good bets uh on left wing i don't know what's going to be going on with nuge sounds like larson's going to be re-signed so i I think their window is four years um and you definitely want to re-sign drysidle and mcdavid but folks that may not happen al we're going to jump into obviously the playoffs coming up here, but before we do, I've got to ask you, and I'm guessing you feel the same way as me, but um, to me, even a few years ago, I could not even begin to comprehend uh, somebody posing the question is so-and-so maybe as good as Gretzky might they become as good as Gretzky? Well, Connor McDavid has, uh, coaxed that conversation and not by Stanley Cup rings, but by pure ability, talent, being a dynamic player. I don't know 
how you compare the two or if you even can fairly, but I think it's it's not crazy to ask, is Connor McDavid as a player uh, maybe on par with Wayne Gretzky? What's your take? Well, I, 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 it's difficult to make the comparison because of eras, but I will say this, that I've never seen a player with his speed, uh, uh, stick handling ability, quick brain, and all combined to do what he's done. And, and th- that sounds like a cop-out, and I don't mean it to be. I think, I think visually, Connor McDavid is the most striking hockey player I've ever seen in my life. I've, I, in fact, I think he's impossible even when I watch him. He's so fast, and his brain moves so quickly, and his, his stick handling and passing ability is equal. He's, he's elite beyond elite, and, and, you know, Gretzky was a different kind of a player. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, he reminds me a little bit, Gret- or uh, McDavid does, of Gilbert Perrault. But Perrault, once a game, would do something that would you'd be, oh, my God, and it might not work, but he'd try something ridiculous. McDavid does it every shift, and he succeeds at – at just mind-numbing uh, uh, levels, that that he's he's the most exciting player I've ever seen, and when he's and I think he's the most exciting player of his era. And when he's done, he might be the greatest player ever. That I know that's a cop out, but that's how I feel. No, I don't think it's a cop out at all because Robin and I got dragged into this last week on CBC Radio on Radioactive with Rod Kurtz talking about is he the greatest ever. Well, all I know, here's the thing, and I'm with you. It's tough to compare eras because I think the goaltending is better now than it was. The equipment, the speed of the game, the way they – I almost feel now the game is overcoached. It never was that before back in the 80s. I don't like to compare Wayne Gretzky to Connor McDavid because I just don't think it's fair. But I can tell you this. This city has been very blessed to not only see Wayne Gretzky play at his best – but he's now, you know, we're now getting a chance to see this is a, a second coming, so to speak. And uh, and it's happening in the exact same city. I don't know if we'll see the same results, but it's just fun. Yeah, it is. And it, 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 it's almost unfair to the younger people and to McDavid that we're always doing the comparing. Yeah. But it's impossible not to. Like, like I, I it's hard to describe to, to people who weren't living in the city in the 80s, the, you know, how important the team was and, and what the impact that they would have the one year Pocketon bought them all black Porsches. So you'd see these black Porsches going by and you'd say, Oh, there's, there's an oiler. Or you'd see four in a parking lot. You're like, Oh, they're at Earl's, you know, and, and they were like rock stars and we're in a different era now where players don't necessarily aren't necessarily as public in the city they play in. And I'm sure that's for good reasons, but the the eighties team, they were rock stars. And, and honestly, a, a lot of, of my memories of the eighties are about like in 87, when I, I, I spent an entire day contemplating the possibility of the orders losing to Hextall in Philadelphia, because that team was so good and they took it to a game seven. Yep. And, and I remember talking to people and it was, it was, like front and center. I don't know what the news was that day, but the news in Edmonton was game seven and they had such a pull. I used to do MC work where you, you, you know, you'd get up and you'd have to say the score every five minutes or so. If the auto scored, you had to let people know. And they were, you know, they were obsessed and we're getting to that point again. What this, what the city needs is a long playoff run. 
Well, you know, you bring up a great point. Back then, it was as much fun to run in and chat hockey with Dave Semenko at David's Restaurant as it was to watch yeah. him play, right? Because you would run yeah. into these guys all over the place, and that just doesn't happen anymore. No. I, I met almost all of the Oilers because they'd come to John Short show. It was on between six and nine. Yeah. And, and you know, they, they, they would be, I'd be coming off the air and I'd be sitting down and putting my stuff away and they'd be sitting and, and you'd catch them in a, a, a relaxed moment. And they're all great guys. And they were all, you know, every, every one of them was on their way to major paychecks in, in other, in other cities, but dealing with Sather at the time. And he was trying to keep that ridiculous team together, uh, even in the eighties economy, but they were, you could see them. They were part of the, they're more like what a CFL player would be now where you could, you know, you could see the guy in the, at the, uh, an opening of some sort, or, or maybe you knew him and he lived in your neighborhood and you could say hello. That was sort of the way it was in the eighties. Well, I, I tell you what, I know I spent my youth out on the coast loathing the Edmonton Oilers because <laughs> they would come in and be in a podcast, shit can the Vancouver Canucks for fun. Uh, it wasn't even close. And who is this Gretzky guy? And how come, you know, the, the Canucks can't beat them? Then you get out here. I get out here. Gretzky's gone, but I'm walking in and having a coffee and talking to Mark Messier as Jim Matheson shows me around. Um, and even then there was still, for me, there was star power left there uh, with Messier and a lot of the guys that still remained. Um, can we get that kind of star power, or at least that kind of supporting cast around uh, Connor McDavid uh, and turn this into something more than uh, the Oilers have the two best players in the league? Well, this will be the summer if they do it, Robin, because the, you know, they can, they can buy out Koskinen. I know nobody likes the word buyout. Uh, maybe they can make a trade to get rid of Koskinen by by saving half the salary. They're gonna they're gonna have real free agent dollars. There's some interesting players out there, uh, and they they have finally and it took Colin two years to do it, but they have finally figured out the pipeline of players coming up from Bakersfield. These guys are plug and play and ready, and they have legit free agent dollars now. You're, you, you know, maybe you get Thomas Tatar and you have to overpay him a little bit, but I, I think Ken Holland can go to everybody and say, look, we're, we're finally organized in a way that we weren't when Mr. Shirelli was here and we're ready to go. We need these pieces, probably a couple of wingers. I like McLeod as a center. Maybe they don't, they think he's a year away. Uh, sign Larson, get the group back. I think Mike Smith's coming back probably. Uh, but I think this is the this is the summer. It's go time because Holland set it up that way, uh, where where he's signed everybody to short term deals and a lot of money. Chase on comes off the books. There's some other dollars that come off the books. Nuge comes off the books. Don't know what'll happen there, but yeah. they're going to spend money this year because they're going to have money this year. But yeah, they can only spend so much as opposed to the old days where it didn't matter. Yeah, but it, they never did anyway. No, like that's the, true. They they you know. 79 to 81 with Gretzky coming over with the NHL, allowing the Otis to keep him. And then the draft by Barry Fraser, that was the, the, that's why it happened guys. Yeah. They, he, he just lapped the He and his scouts lapped the field. You've got to be, the Otis are much better at scouting than they used to be. 
But that pipeline, like Dylan Holloway might be important a year from now. And they just drafted him not that long ago. Hey, before we take, now, oh, sorry, go ahead. You go ahead, Robin, first. Well, I was just, I was just going to say, let, you know, let's, let's jump into the, into the here and now with the, with the uh, National Hockey League playoffs and, and get to the Oilers in a second, but sort of in, in line with our uh, Statler and Waldorf episode here, um, the last, <laughs> we've got the Habs and the Maple Leafs in one series. And the last time it was the Habs and the Maple Leafs, we were looking at Sittler and McDonald and Salmine and Tiger Williams uh, facing Lafleur and Shutt and Robinson and, and Lapointe. And it didn't go well for the Maple Leafs. Uh, when you look at that series now, uh, is it more nostalgia than actual competition at this point? How do you see that one? Well, I see it as the 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 new, as in Kyle Dubas and the Toronto Maple Leafs, going almost completely skill with a more traditional playoff roster. The the Habs that were, I think, they were built for the playoffs with with Weber and Petrie and goaltending and and some really good two way centers like Daniel and and Young Suzuki. So I I always I'm always surprised by people who should know better saying, oh, you know, Toronto's going to win this in four or whatever. I think Toronto wins this series, but it's going to be way tougher uh, than anybody thinks. And I also think the same way thing about the other series. But the, the, the Maple Leafs have so much skill. You know they're going to score a lot. But M- Montreal only has to win four games. And they're, they're going to make it tough for them. And Toronto's power play isn't fantastic. That may mean Montreal can take a few more penalties. Uh, I, I think it's going to go deeper than anybody thinks. I don't think Montreal wins it, but I think it's going to go deep. Well, and here's the other thing too on on this series is that Montreal's got, who's got pressure. Nobody in Montreal's got pressure in this series. There's a little bit because it's Montreal, Toronto, but all the Habs have to do is find a way to one one of the first two, and then all bets are off. Yeah, they're you know they're, they're the Habs are always sneaky. God, they are. You know, Price is going down to the AHL to play, and they got you know. Gallagher playing down there and you're like and I just you know I know Carey Price isn't Carey Price of a decade ago but you know goaltending can make such a difference and you know does he have one more great run in him and if he does like the the, Toronto can't lose in the first round or the city of Toronto may (laughs) explode yeah well we also saw with the Oilers back in the day when they were taking on the Dallas Stars and they really didn't have the same talent level as the Dallas Stars but they always found a way to win one of the first two in Dallas and then we always knew it was going to be fun from that point on. And I see the same thing with the Oilers and the Winnipeg Jets. I think all the pressure weirdly enough is on the Edmonton Oilers. Jets just got to come in here and win one. And then and then it turns into a hell of a series. Well, Hellebuck is is the key. Yes. And he hasn't played well. And he hasn't played well against the Oilers, but I never like that because, you know, Halibut really going into this year was the best goalie in the league. He'd won the, the Vezina and, and I, you can't turn it on and off, but I just believe if he has one really solid game, one is so important because if he, if he plays well, then it's a whole different series. And I think that's what Paul Maurice is doing. Uh, Ehlers would make a big difference if he can play. The problem I have with Winnipeg, and the reason why I think Edmonton will win the series, is their defense, they badly needed to add to that defense at the deadline. And they didn't do it. It's it's a lot's relying on Neil Pionk, 
and he's a good player. I just don't know if he's good enough uh, to stop the Oilers, and McDavid has had his way with them. Well, that's the thing, is, is McDavid and Dreisaitl uh, have, have had their way with them. And now, you can say that on a lot of nights against some pretty good defenses, but that, that defense to me is just uh, not what it was even three or four years ago. And the thing that surprises me is going into the series, I look and I say, right now, head-to-head, the Oilers have the better goaltending. I'm not saying they have the better goaltender, but in in nine games this year, it was all Mike Smith and the Oilers. And I don't know why, but if the pucks keep going in, it doesn't matter why, only that they go in. Well, Mike Smith has been, he's the great unknown. I had a, um, at the beginning of the year, I had a conversation uh, with with um, Mike Zanier, a uh, former Oiler goalie who does Swedish uh, color commentary on radio. And we just talked about how important goaltending would be. And at that time we were talking about Koskinen and Smith as a kind of a, a combo, but Smith, Mike Smith changed almost the entire equation in the North division this year alone, because everybody knew McDavid would be McDavid and Drysaddle would be Drysaddle. But my God, the guy had a season for the ages. Honestly, he has been so spectacular and calm and and he's 39 boys you know i know uh, we're not 39 but we remember 39 i and, don't and <laughs> <laughs> don't even try to tell me you're not there yet no <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah you're having too good a time right <laughs> uh I, I mean he's been the story and as long as he continues that you know that's the that's why the the letters you know, you talk about the window being open. If Mike Smith plays this way in the playoffs, the window is open, wide open. Okay. Now, con- conversely here, and I'm going back now to 2006, and I remember a conversation I had with Craig McTavish, and this is going down the stretch to to even qualify for the playoffs. It was going to go down to the final weekend. And I said to Mac T, how do you handle your goaltenders heading into the playoffs? He says, I think you got to be really careful with your goalies in the last few weeks of the regular schedule. You've got to make sure that, that you've got confidence in one guy that can carry the mail, but you've got to make sure the other guy is ready to go just in case. And But you also have to make sure that you still go back to that number one guy. Now, in the Edmonton Oilers situation, the way they handled Koskinen in the final two weeks of the regular schedule, I don't think the team's got confidence in him. They may tell us that. I don't believe it. I don't think Koskinen's got confidence in Koskinen. And, and I think to myself, if Mike Smith doesn't perform the way he's played all the way through the season, they're not going to win this series, Al. Well, you're right, because Koskinen, he's got the yips. And, and like, I don't – you don't like to say that because he had a 929 save percentage in a 10-game period before that first disastrous game. Yeah. And now two games out of three, he's been poor. And, and you know, they got a number three guy, but they never played him, so he's not even in the equation. So – We'll know, like if they're up three nothing, three Cobb after the third game, then then you know you bring Koskinen into the fourth game if Smith is tired. But other than that, like if they're two one going into game four, I think Smith plays all like unless he gets hurt, I think he plays the entire time, and that's not ideal. And I know they're saying you know well we're fine with Koskinen. My God, some of those goals were just like I mean Pepe Le Pew beyond. They were just bad. I don't see Koskinen getting into another game. 
I just don't. I don't think you can afford to do that with your goaltending. Now, he might come in in relief, but you still got to go back to right. Mike Smith in the next game. You just have to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, if they get – if one of those games gets out of reach, then you bring Koskinen in maybe a little bit. But, like – and you're right about players. They won't say anything, but you can sort of t- like <laughs> that, that last game. Holy, I, you, you know, you just, you, you've worked hard. You, I, you've stayed interested for two periods in a game that does not matter. And then your goalie, you know, and it's always been his glove. It's always, I think they knew when they signed him that his glove was the issue. And, and yet we're here. And, and, you know, I, that, I don't think Hoskinen comes back. I, I don't know how they're going to move him off the roster, but uh, I don't think he'll be back next year. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, there can't be any confidence in him, no matter what the players say. I mean, uh, you know, the last game aside, you had to go back in the memory banks, uh, two outings before that, four goals on four shots. Now, I didn't remember that Don Beaupre was the last (laughs) time that happened, although it was certainly in our wheelhouse. And before that, uh, I think it was Dan Bouchard with the Atlanta Flames. And I remember Dan too, but I mean, this is not new with me, Miko. When he's rested, he is capable of being a middling average goaltender. But when the wheels come off, you're done. And if the wheels come off in a playoff game, you're not only done, you're probably finished. It's tough, you know, and you don't like to see it. I always remember feeling so badly for Tommy Salo um, when he was playing for Sweden at the Olympics. And you yeah. just, you're like, oh my God. And goalies, I think it was Bryn said earlier, there's no, there's nothing after that. So they always, whatever, whatever the shame is, it's on them. Uh, but, but Robin's point is a good one where even at his highest level, I don't think he was a $4.5 million goaltender. So that gets back to the GM who signed him. And then we can talk about that, but uh, it, the, the, the difference between the quality of the two goalies dictates what Dave Tippett is going to be doing. And that means expect Mike Smith at 39 to play until he can't stand up anymore. Yeah. That's uh, that's what they're going to have to do. The other thing too, special teams is so important during the regular season. I just don't think it's going to be a big issue here in the playoffs. I just don't think the Oilers are going to get as many power play opportunities as they usually do. So therefore, will they score as many goals as they do? Because you know those guys love to connect with the man advantage. And then the other thing that's really important for me, and you can address both of these, Al, and and you too, Robin, is I'm a firm believer in the postseason that your bottom six guys have got to be better than the other team's bottom six guys. The teams that win are the ones that get really good support from those bottom six. I expect the top six guys are going to match each other off pretty closely. So just to kind of touch on both of these two Canadian series, how do you see that? Well, for me, I I see the Oilers uh, going with a very young third-line center, and Winnipeg is very deep at that position. That's an area of concern. Uh, On the the wings, the Oilers, I liked, I really liked Neil and Chase on, in the bubble a year ago, they were rock solid. Uh, so they, they've got that going for them. Uh, I would give Winnipeg a slight edge in the third, fourth line forwards because I'm a big fan of Lowry. On defense, I I, I noticed Cuckoo was lined up with uh, Bear uh, on in practice today. That may mean Jones is 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 uh, going to be playing or going to be uh, in the press box. I like the Oilers' defense more than I like the 
the um, the Jets defense over in the other series. Uh, you know, those old guys are pretty interesting. Joe Thornton, Wayne Simmons, uh, Spezza. My God, he's been fun to watch. Uh, Montreal has. I don't think Stahl's done much, but their other centers uh, in the in the bottom six have done well. They're strong up the middle. I'm going to say it's a draw in the Eastern series and a slight edge in the Winnipeg series. Huh. You know, when, when I look at the Winnipeg series, Al uh, and Bryn, I see a huge difference in the defenses of both teams. The Oilers have one of the uh, most productive blue lines as a group. It helps when you got Tyson Berry and Darnell Nurse on top. And even with, uh, you know, the second and third pairings, there's not a, nothing spectacular about Kulikov or Cuckoo, but they know how to play the position. Um, the other part too, and it's captain obvious, until the Winnipeg Jets uh, find a way to do something about Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, I'm not convinced they've got an honest shot. And when I look for the third and fourth line guys that Bryn brought up, agreed. I've seen it many times where it's important. I really like McLeod to me, we'll see, but I really like taking a shot on James Neal. Been there, done that. He doesn't need that many chances to score. And even though he wobbles around a little bit and isn't a speed demon, he knows what to do around the net. I see an advantage there. Yeah, I like Neil a lot. I I think he, he wasn't Neil early, but he seems to have gotten the last two weeks. He's really, uh, I think he's finally feeling good about it. You know, he had the COVID uh, timeout early in the year. Uh, and he's, I think he's closer to being the Neil we saw a year ago. And man, does he have good hands down low. Holy. Okay, let's uh, let's talk quickly about our predictions for these Canadian series. We'll take a break, and then we'll come back and take a look at what else is going on. But, uh, okay, so Toronto-Montreal, let's go around the horn here. Let's start with you, Al. Uh, Toronto-Montreal, I have Toronto winning in six games. And Robin, any clue on this uh, one? What did I say? I had them written down, so I want to be consistent. You know what? For me, it's Toronto. Uh I can I can see it being in five. The Canadians are pretty beaten down. And I'm also taking Toronto in five. I I, I f- firmly feel that uh, that's going to be the case. The only question mark for me is goaltending for uh, Toronto. Shockingly, Freddie Anderson looks like he's back, but I I I uh, I think it's going to be uh, Toronto pretty easy. Okay, Oilers and the Jets. Al, I have Edmonton in seven. The reason I have them in seven is. Halibut. If he doesn't become Halibut, it'll be quicker. But I never trust really good goaltenders. They always make you pay. <laughs> okay, and then Robin, you Oilers in five. I think uh, I don't have any re- until they show me they can change the way the season series went. Uh, Oilers uh, uh, five games, and I've taken the Oilers in seven. And I think Connor Halibut's going to take an etch a sketch to his season, and I think he's going to be really the only reason why it's going to go to seven. So there we go. That's the two Canadian series. Al, chill for a second when we come back. Let's take a look at some of these other series that are already underway. That Tampa-Florida one is insane. We'll get to Al. Low Tide joins us when we come back with more in a moment.
Well, the NHL playoffs are underway, obviously, and this is the time of year when you'd expect your team members to be at their peak, at their best, going for it all. Well, there isn't a regular season in the real estate market, but I'll tell you this, the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City, they've been in playoff mode all year long. So if you're looking for a clutch performance for your next real estate transaction, then make sure you add the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City to your roster. They'll help you get the most amount of money in the least amount of time for your home. Or perhaps maybe you know somebody who's looking to buy a home right now or even sell a home. You've probably got a million questions, but with a lot of homes going on the market and there's multiple offers, the buyers usually do need some assistance on making sure that their offer is the best one out there. Anyway, give Brent a call at the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. They'd be happy to assist just give them a call, 780-464-0075, or you can track them on, down online at macintoshgroup.ca. Al Mitchell joining us on the Outsiders. Low tide from the lowdown on TSN 1260. Goes every morning from 10 until noon. Al, great to have you with us. Let's uh, let's talk about these U.S. series. For the longest time, and we, we joked with Darren Drager about this, we weren't aware of teams uh, uh, in America that were playing. Uh, how, how, how closely were you watching all of their stuff before the playoff run? I watched Boston a lot. Uh, and and not a lot. I, like I, anything east of the Mississippi or west of the Mississippi, I just I just didn't watch. I didn't. You know what? This I was so obsessed with the North Division that I that I I only had room for Boston. So I'll tell you what. I wasn't ready for the Florida uh, Tampa Bay game. That was that was like a, a, a Stanley Cup final caliber hockey game. I was I was I had to walk around the block after that game. I was so up about it that was a that was a great now there was some dirty hits oh yeah but it it was a great game great game saw more checks from behind in that game than i saw all season long yep felt a little sorry for sam bennett too because he's getting hauled on the carpet when a lot of guys were doing that same stuff all all game long well was the last guy to do it it's always like it's like in school we're in you know you you hit a guy he hits you back i'll say this that 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 the penalty he took, it was, it was deserved. Oh yeah. They, you know, Tampa Bay scores, Florida, they had a man, they had, they were up by a goal, five minutes left. Don't hit the guy. And I know why he did it too, because they, they were after, after their star player, but you know, Tampa Bay has like $7 trillion coming back from the injured reserve. If you'd won that game, that would have put the fear of God in them. You know, it's funny, Al, and hindsight's a convenient thing, but uh, Sam Bennett uh, last night, and it was was a penalty. Uh, You saw the way he skedaddled out of there in a hurry that he knew uh, he'd done something he wasn't supposed to and he was going to get caught. But Sam Bennett has made a difference to that Florida club, hasn't he? He has. You know, and I remember Craig McTavish saying, I don't remember the player he said it about, but he said, you know, he needs a second opinion. And Bennett needed a second opinion because, you know, he was a disappointment in Calgary really from the word go. And part of that was that Dreisaitl went in front of him, but you know, he's a different player down there. He's very dynamic. He's, he's always near, you know, the puck and near the net and, and, you know, uh, he's playing at the level where maybe, maybe, you know, people thought 
you know, he was going to. And it's funny because Calgary lost a guy named Marte, Martin St. Louis to a, a Florida team for nothing uh, years and years ago. And I'm not saying that Bennett's going to be St. Louis, but boy, you got to cash on those high picks and Calgary never did with Bennett. Just for the record, that player was Brad Winchester. Oh, wow. Okay. There you go. Hello. <laughs> and I felt so bad for the kid because you know what? Mac T just wasn't a fan of the way he played. And, you know, I've got a lot of respect for Mac T, but I knew it was over in Edmonton for, for uh, Winchester when Matt, when uh, Winchester's parents were coming, I want to say to the XL energy center or to a game on the road to watch him play and he healthy scratched him. Oh, ouch. Yeah. We'll see you later. Thanks for coming. Hey, uh, just uh, before we wrap up on the T-Bay Florida series, the one thing I got to say about the Lightning and having watching them play bubble hockey last year and winning the Stanley Cup, the defending champs, if you want to try to outskate them, they will outskate you. If you want to try to outhit them, they will outhit you. If you want to try to outwork them, they will outwork you. They are about as talented a squad as I've seen in a long time. They will take the style of play that you're throwing at them, and they will double your effort, and they are deserving champs. Man, oh, man, they uh, they really, I thought when the, things looked down in that first game against Florida, they just found a way to win because they're the champs. And they got, like, Cernak is a guy you never think about. He's a really good player. Like they got they got players on pawn players upon players. Uh, you you'd have a hard time finding a bad player on that team. Okay, let's move along. Uh, let's talk about the Islanders, Penguins, Capitals, Bruins. Where do you want to start with that one, Al? Well, let's start Islanders, Penguins because I'm I'm really interested in Crosby scored such a gorgeous goal uh, in Game One where he had one hand and he did it anyway. A tip. My God, he's a great player. Yeah. But Malkin, that that story is going to loom large here because they lost game one. And, and you know, the Islanders are, are just a little deeper this year. So that, to me, is a series to watch because the Islanders might win it. I think I think that, I, I mean, and I know we're a, a, a game down here with this pick, but I still see the Penguins in, in uh, seven games uh, in that one. Uh, the Islanders are going to push, but I think it's seven uh, for the Pens. I think right now the net mining is a bit of a trade-off between the two. For some reason, I think time, it's just time for a change, so I, I'm kind of looking to see the Islanders win this one. And then the Bruins' Capitals has also got a bit of a nastiness about it, too. And I guess, uh, you know, what surprised me is how nasty the Capitals have been, not the Bruins, to start this thing <laughs> off. The the Caps are are... You know they're they are a, a a a very physical team, and I was like Ovechkin was the guy sort yes. of leading the train. He he was just brutal, and and stuff that he could have gotten called for a penalty, but he doesn't because he's Ovechkin. But I, you know I'm a Bruins fan, so I'm always watching it from that side. Um, I, I I picked Washington to win this series in seven because I I'm just I, I I as good as Boston is, and as good as Hall has been for Boston. There's some age on that roster in in Boston, and uh, you know I, I worry about Rask a little bit. I think Young Swayman may get some starts here. Not that Rask has been poor. I'm not saying that, but they're 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 good on defense. They're not great on defense. Their their third second their third and fourth lines are good, not great. Uh, maybe it's not the Bruins or the Caps are going to take the Bruins out, but I don't see the Bruins getting to the semifinal. I don't think they're a Final Four team. Yeah, you know what? I I took the Bruins in six, so suffice to say there's some 
work to do there. I like the addition of Hall. I, I like their top end just because they're gamers, not because of pure talent or anything like that. But you know what? When you see Ovechkin revved up like he is and getting in people's faces, if he decides he's going to be a force and he's all worked up, who's going to stop him? That's the issue. And I'm with you. I, I'm I'm kind of like in the caps. And the best part about this is somebody could download this podcast three weeks from now, and this these series will be over. So uh, people will always have the last laugh. But I, I think it's about time the Capitals moved on. And then the other series that was kind of interesting to me was the Wild and the Golden Knights from Vegas. And uh, Minnesota jumping into a quick lead in this one. But the Wild have just been very quietly playing great hockey, Al. Well, they're, they're, you know, they're so good. They have so many good players again. And Flurry has been ridiculous. Like he just has, he's insane. And, and they made one mistake and they lost. And I think they, I think they were, my opinion was they were the better team in the second half of that game. Minnesota's good. And Cam Talbot had a hell of a game, but uh, I think Vegas wins the series, but thank you to Bill Guerin for making the Minnesota wild watchable. They're, they're really fun to watch. Uh, and, and, you know, don't hire Jacques Lemaire. That's all I got to say. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm with, I, I'm with you on, uh, Talbot, Al. Um, you know what? Uh, he's been a very good goaltender in this league. Uh, he's a better guy if you've ever had a chance to sit down and chat with him. And I know that doesn't impact the series, whether he's a good guy or not, but kind of smile when I see he gets that win. I've still got the Knights in six. I just think they're better from top to bottom. I'm with you guys, too. I think the exact same thing about Vegas. But, uh, hey, it's going to be a battle. The other two series are just getting rolling here. So we haven't had a sneak preview, but we have the Avalanche and the Blues. Well, the Avalanche, to me, I uh, I can't see anybody stopping them. Uh, I think that uh, they're playing great hockey right now. However, they do have a few guys that are banged up, Al. Yeah, I, I think Colorado wins this. Uh, if they're if they're mostly healthy, I think they win the Stanley Cup. But I think they'll win in in six, five or six. Uh, St. Louis, there's nothing wrong with St. Louis; they're a good team. Yeah. But but I just think Colorado is the class of the. I think they're the class of the West for sure. Yeah, in total agreement here. I think uh, uh, bumps and bruises or not, I I picked them to win in in five. Maybe it goes to six because they're. Not a hundred percent. I've also got them in the cup final, Al. I just, they're a really good hockey club. And Carolina and Nashville boys. What do you think? Carolina had a it's really good, only, good, solid season. It's the only sweep I see. I don't, I, I, I just think Carolina has too much. I really do. Nashville has done great things. I, I don't think they match up well against Carolina. Uh, and, and I, I think Carolina wins in four. Oof, that much, eh? Well, I tell you what, I like the Canes too, but I like I, I like them uh, I like them in six. Um, I also think they uh, might be playing that Colorado Avalanche team for that Stanley Cup. Uh, anybody looking that far ahead? Wow, uh, I like Nashville. I don't like Nashville in the series, but I think Nashville is capable of winning two games here with their speed. I think that they do jump into the holes nicely offensively. But I'm with you guys. I do like Carolina. I think. Uh, uh, are they still doing the surge, by the way? Not surge, but surge. <laughs> are they still doing that stuff, or do they stop doing that, Al? I, I don't know. I, I didn't, hardly watched any of these American games this year. Oh, uh, You know what? I'm so far away. I feel bad predicting, because who the hell knows? You know? <laughs> doing that clap thing. I don't know what the... 
Say it's always nice to get rid of the clap. Yeah. Well, that's what they say. <laughs> I, 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 I says pardon. <laughs> pardon? I said what? Hey, Al, thanks for your time. This has been great. We uh, do need to get you on more often. And, of course, your show is always worth listening to every every weekday on TSN 1260. So thanks for your time today. Well, you know what, guys? Uh, it's it's always good to get together with people of a similar vintage and to BS for an hour. So uh, call me anytime. Great. <laughs> hey, Robin, thanks for your time. This has been a blast today. A lot of fun. Yes. Okay. This has been The Outsiders, brought to you by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. We'll talk to you next week. Craig Simpson, I think, is joining us next week, right? That's the hope, yes. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the day. Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle.